0: Hey Life Can, uh, Roger here. I'm the Director of Student and Young Adult ministry. So glad that you are listening today. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Glad to have you here. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. Uh, So glad that you chose to listen to us today. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow so you can get more of our sermons that we put out and and other cool content. Um, But we're so glad that you're here. Uh, We're also glad you're here because... God is up to so much. The past two series we did was our 10-year vision series, and now we're in our uh, Cross Equals Love series where we talk all about uh, what Jesus has done for us and and how we uh, participate and share uh, what Jesus did on the cross with uh, our community and those around us. And the call... In this series, or in this series, has been so practical because we've been talking about how we are called to serve others, like Jesus served us. And each week, we've talked about a practical step and way that we can serve our community. Um, and this week is no different. Um, before we get to that, you know, there's there's so many ways you can participate in what God is doing um, through us to serve this community one of the ways you can participate is by giving so uh, feel free to head over to lifechurchcanton.org forward slash give to participate financially in what God is doing in this community and he is he's up to so much and about to be uh, up to even more that we will realize and see as we push into our 10 year vision so be sure to head over to that and participate in what he is doing Uh, yeah like I said we're in our Cross Equals Love series where we're talking about serving Uh, This week, Pastor Jared is going to talk about prayer. uh, And I think he's going to unpack some uh, harder things to understand about prayer and and some different kinds of prayer that we're maybe not comfortable with and give us a really powerful uh, takeaway for the week. So give that a listen, and I'll check back with you in, in a couple minutes.
1: God, we want to build our lives around you. We need eyes to see. We need our hearts transformed understand what you're doing in our world and so we boldly say before you today right now in this moment that we submit ourselves to you we will build our lives around you and we don't know where that's going to take us but we trust you as we step out in faith today in jesus name and all god's people said amen you may have a seat Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited that you are here with us. I'm grateful that you are either here in person listening to this or listening online. And uh, if you're a little bit newer here, we have a vision, and we've been speaking about this for a couple months now, actually, and this is what our vision states, is that we want you to reclaim your identity in Jesus and then bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And for some of you, if you are newer here, you're like, whoa, that's a lot. That's like a heavy statement. I'm just looking for a place of rest. I'm just needing to heal right now. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I've been burned by churches, and actually today is the last chance I'm giving to the church, and maybe even to God. And so you're just stepping into this, just trying things out. And I would say this, our hope is that you find a place of healing and belonging and rest. And all of that is actually part of what it means to reclaim your identity in Jesus. And some of you are like, I'm ready to go. I'm I'm ready to make an impact in my community. Great, that's awesome. You are in the right place as well as we bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. We've been in a series called Cross Equals. Love And what we've been doing is focusing in on this one passage in Mark, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, where it says Jesus is saying, For the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we've been talking about the service of Jesus, which is all shaped by the cross, and all of it is leading to the cross. All of Jesus' service culminates in this final pinnacle act of the cross, which is self-sacrificial love. That is what service looks like. And so we are invited into that same kind of service as well, motivated by the cross, motivated by love. And the kinds of service that we've been talking about that we have given you, all of the sermons have had action steps To go out and to serve your community and to serve very specifically in physical and sometimes relational ways. Today, what we're gonna do is turn our attention and our focus more toward the spiritual kinds of service. We're gonna go from the natural to the supernatural. Now, I wanna be clear, those two things aren't. Separated. They're not like isolated entities of who we are. Actually, they work very much in tandem the natural and the supernatural. Sometimes the natural affects the supernatural, and sometimes the supernatural affects the natural. But how we respond to those needs comes with maybe a different level of intentionality. So, how do we respond intentionally to the supernatural, to the spiritual needs within our sphere, within our community? Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the cross-shaped service of prayer. Now, some of you are like, okay, we've talked about prayer a million times. We actually did a, a, a series on it back in January all about prayer. What's different about today? Hopefully, today, you will see maybe a slightly different flavor of prayer that you might not necessarily be accustomed to, be used to. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Mark once again, but we're going to go back to chapter 9 and start in verse 14. Now, if you are newer here, you don't have a Bible, that's entirely okay. We have the words on the screen so you can follow along in that way. And if you don't own a Bible, let us know. We want to give you one for free. But now i want to invite you to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. When they returned, who's they? Jesus and three other people, Peter, James, and John, sort of his inner circle of people. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground, and then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Let me stop there. This is a delicate situation, a delicate passage even. And and before I go too much further into the story and, and talking about what we're dealing with, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork first, if I may. One of my concerns as a preacher is is that people would check out or get bored or get disinterested with a message because of the content. And I never want that to be the case. I never want you to check out because of the content. If you check out because of me, because you're like, I don't know, that dude's funny looking, or his beard needs to be trimmed, or the shine on his bright white bald head is just too much for me, and I can't even look at it. We love you too. If that's the issue, that's fine. I can handle that. But what I don't want... Is for you to be disinterested or to check out because of content. And what I mean by that is some of you read this and you're like, whoa, possessed by an evil spirit. Okay, that's it for me. That's, that's a little weird. That's a little foreign. I don't really know what to deal with that. Or I'm not even sure I believe in that stuff anymore. For some of you, you're like, I'm totally fine. Keep on going. But for others, you're looking at, okay, he seizes, he, he foams at the mouth, he's grinding his teeth. That's Epilepsy. That's not an evil spirit, that's just just epilepsy, that's a medical condition, and so why would I go any further in the story? And I understand why you would feel that way. This seems ancient, this seems outdated, so should we just throw the whole thing out? Don't, Don't check out because of the content. Don't discount the story. And I want to be very clear, we do not deny that there are very real medical needs and there is the progress of science. We don't deny that as a church. And we also don't deny that there is a very real evil presence in the world. In fact, we affirm what the Apostle Paul, the church planter who goes to plant a church in a city called Ephesus, we affirm his words that he says to the church. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We affirm that. But it's not an either-or conversation for us. It's a both-and and we, we live into that tension. There are very real medical needs. There are chemical imbalances. There is mental unhealth. Absolutely, the, that require medical attention. And there is a very real evil presence in the world as well. But also, that doesn't mean that we think that every medical situation or every hospital bed means that that person is possessed by an evil spirit. And then still, we also recognize, and even doctors recognize, that sometimes there are moments where doctors can't explain why the cancer left. And there's a miracle. We, we hold all of this in tension, and mystery, as we engage with these ancient stories that seem very disconnected from our life. I want you to stick with me if you're on the fence about where you stand with this supernatural realm. And here's the thing that we need to focus in on is that two things. Jesus responded or operated within the context that he found himself, which is a context that was very embracing of the supernatural, very familiar with things like demonic and spiritual warfare and evil spirits. They're super comfortable with that idea. But also what's even more... The second thing is that there is a consistent theme that in the midst of this chaos and evil in the world, God's response to it is far more important that he responds through love, compassion, healing. This is the consistent and ongoing character of God working in and through Jesus. So with that groundwork laid, Let's continue in the story. Let's see what happens. Verse 18, the second part of verse 18. This is the, the father still talking about his son. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Okay, so... If you've grown up with the Bible, you've grown up coming to church, sometimes we hear about the disciples and we're just like, oh my gosh, they're so stupid, they're so dumb, you never get it. And, uh, and actually Mark tends to focus in on the weaknesses of the disciples. But I want you to not pass by too quickly. The man asked the disciples to cast out the Spirit. So he must have thought that the disciples had this capability of, of doing this. He must have believed that because they were disciples of Jesus that they followed him, that they understood kind of how he operated. So he must have had faith or trusted that the disciples could do the same thing that Jesus was doing. And he's not wrong, actually, because three chapters before this, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out his disciples on a mission trip to cast out demons. He gave them authority to cast out demons, evil spirits. And they did. So they have this ability, but they couldn't do it this time. It's interesting. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I don't know if I'm reading that with the appropriate tone that Jesus spoke with. Maybe he had kind of a a, a frustrated tone and emotion with it. It's hard to say. I think based just on the words alone, I think it's pretty clear that he was frustrated, that he was had some harsh emotion here. What's that about? Why is he so frustrated? And maybe more importantly, who is he frustrated with? Is it the disciples for not being able to cast out the evil spirit? Is it the father? Is it the crowd? Yes, maybe, both, all, all of the above. But I think what's interesting here is that this frustration, this emotion of Jesus is important for us to see. It's important for us to recognize that God, Jesus is God, the Son of God, is still human and has human properties. He has emotion. This reveals the humanity of God in Jesus. Okay, so if that's true... He's still frustrated that they weren't able to do this. And, and I begin to think, well, if I do some life application, if I'm reading this, okay, what does this mean for me? Well, well does that mean that Jesus is, is frustrated with me? I, I've never cast out an evil spirit that I know of or, or cast out a demon before. Maybe, maybe Jesus is frustrated with my faith, too. I think there's something more going on here. There's something bigger beneath the surface. What is it that Jesus is so frustrated about? Here's the thing, Jesus is speaking to primarily a Jewish audience here. This is a Jewish audience who has a very rich and long and deep history of seeing God move. They're the chosen people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jewish people. This is how they kind of evolve as a people. But ultimately, God has been working and moving miraculously in and through his people. And it's almost as if Jesus is calling them out because they have forgotten their identity. They have forgotten who God has called them to be and the fact that they actually have the authority to engage and to impact the world around them. He's frustrated for not living into their potential. Let's keep going here. So they brought the boy in verse 20. They brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I, I do believe! but help me overcome my unbelief. It's a really sad situation, isn't it? Regardless of what you feel about medical versus spiritual, physical versus spiritual, natural, supernatural, it's still a sad situation for any of you who have parents or younger loved ones not being able to solve a situation, feeling helpless, not knowing what to do, and crying out of desperation. God, do something. Maybe you can feel this. Maybe this resonates with you. I want you to notice how Jesus interacts in times like this. First of all, he takes an opportunity to observe. He just simply observes what's going on. Before speaking, oftentimes we're so quick to speak. We're so quick to diagnose a situation that's uncomfortable for us, that's chaotic. We just want to talk right away, but Jesus just observes. And then slowly he begins to engage in a conversation. He seeks understanding, which I think is interesting, right? Like if we are talking about God and his, uh, in, in Jesus, Jesus is divine, Jesus is God, he, so therefore he should be omniscient, he's all-knowing, he knows everything. Why does he have to ask this man about the situation. Is it possible that God is, in Jesus, trying to establish this mutual love and respect and trust to show that it's not just this robotic thing where Jesus goes, poof, done, all right, next, what's next? No, he engages in a conversation. And in doing so, he creates this vulnerability. Because did you see what the man says? Have mercy on us. Why would he say that? Why is he calling out for mercy? Something that's interesting that we need to understand about this context in this ancient culture is not just within the Jewish people, but all throughout the ancient world, they have this understanding that the divine God, if you're monotheistic, or the gods, if you're polytheistic, the gods are angry. They have a property and an attribute of anger. And that anger is projected onto humanity. So if something is going wrong in your life, if your son is sick, if your wife can't have a child, if your crops don't grow, all of that is because, well, I must have done something wrong to upset the gods. And so in this situation, perhaps there's this residual, contextual understanding for this father to say, my son is in this situation, I'm helpless, the disciples can't do anything about it, the divine must be upset. Have mercy on us, he cries out for. Jesus creates an environment of vulnerability for this man to cry out, but then he turns it and he exudes the confidence and authority of God. And then the final step in this whole exchange here is this man has to take a step forward of belief. But he's also honest about his belief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know if you struggle with that in your faith, or where your faith is at even. If there's moments of crying out to God, and you're like, I I, I do believe, I trust that God is capable of doing this, but man, there's part of me that has some doubts here. Jesus is not turning you away. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Let's continue to read the story. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was starting to grow, was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead, and so a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and held him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only, can be cast out only by prayer. A lot going on here. Let's walk through this for just a moment. First of all, in verse 25, he's got this authoritative speaking. I command you, right? Jesus commands the Spirit to leave. We'll talk about that command and that authority in just a second. But as we move to verse 26, do you notice something? Jesus commands the Spirit to leave, but he doesn't right away. He throws the boy into another violent convulsion. Here's the thing, when we encounter Jesus, sometimes things actually get harder and more painful before they get better. Some of you have had this experience. I've I've talked to one of you actually several times and are going through this right now. Your faith is in God, you love Jesus, and you are dealing with some really intense trauma and you are choosing to engage in that even more. And in a lot of ways, it's actually getting harder before it's getting more peaceful, better, more joyous. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And verse 27, Jesus is always gentle, compassionate in the midst of our trauma. Grabs him by the hand, gets him to his feet. Here's the thing, verse 28 and 29, these disciples as they go away and have this conversation about this incredible miracle that has just taken place, they're concerned about one thing. Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why, why couldn't we cast out this demon? We, we've done it before. We did it in Mark chapter 6. Why couldn't we do it now? What's so different about this situation? And Jesus responds, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Okay, great. That, that seems like a good answer, but I'm like... Wait, when did he pray? Did did anybody else notice that? He spoke to the Spirit. He rebuked the Spirit and said, I command you to leave. That doesn't sound like a prayer. He didn't go down on his knees and fold his hands and close his eyes and pray. And dear Father, no, he didn't do any of that. So, is that prayer? How is what Jesus did prayer? Did you know that Jesus models for us several kinds of prayer. We're we're probably more accustomed to devotional prayer, listening prayer, silent prayer, prayers of gratitude. All of those are are maybe a little bit more common to us and maybe not as as foreign and, and uncomfortable to us. But in this moment, this is what we call authoritative prayer. Speaking with authority, commanding things to take place demanding that a change happens. See, authoritative prayer is probably the most misunderstood to us, and unfortunately, therefore, because it's misunderstood, often can be abused prayer as well. And so because of that, it it feels foreign to us, and it's intimidating to think about this idea of calling out an evil spirit, which already we're probably not all that familiar with maybe in our modern Western American context, as much as maybe they are in other parts of the developing world. where this is extremely common. Or, or maybe things like Jesus calming the storm and speaking to the storm, like all of that just feels a little foreign and off to us. But let me ask you, do you ever find yourself In the midst of your pain and your chaos, needing different kinds of prayer, needing authoritative prayer, demanding that this situation change. Have you ever prayed authoritative prayers like this? And if not, there's no shame because the disciples didn't really either. They had cast out demons before, but apparently, they weren't doing it through prayer, I guess, or at least through authoritative prayer. I'd be curious to understand what their method was to cast out demons. But we know, according to Jesus, it wasn't this kind of prayer. So what was going on and what was different about this situation? And maybe even a more important question for us today in 2022 is, are are we supposed to do this too? Are, Are we actually supposed to be the ones to pray authoritative prayers, to to cast out evil spirits. Is that what we're called to do in this modern context, in this world? What's different? Uh, I was having a conversation with Bridget earlier this week. We, we meet together every Wednesday, and we go through our sermon, and it becomes this sort of team-written sermon. And so we had this wonderful conversation about this specific point, like what was different about this situation? What's needed to engage in this kind of Intense supernatural way. And I'll paraphrase the conversation a little bit because we spoke for like an hour, but Bridget narrowed it down to like two things basically. She said, You need a relationship with Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need a relationship with Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? Let me expand on that definition just a little bit more. You need a cultivating relationship with Jesus, this ongoing thing, not just this one time I prayed a prayer and now I said it and forget it and it's all good, Uh, but no, this cultivating, this ongoing, developing, evolving relationship with Jesus, as well as the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, great. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about the Spirit for just a moment. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, hadn't fully been imparted onto or into these disciples yet. Technically, they didn't have this full presence of the Holy Spirit yet. Because the reason they didn't necessarily need that is because Jesus himself was with them. Jesus is God. He is Christ in the flesh with them. The Spirit that he was going to be imparting unto them or onto them would be his spirit, the spirit of Christ. So if he himself was with them in the flesh, then he didn't necessarily need to impart the spirit onto them yet because he was with them. Okay, so there's that. But why is that important? Well, think about it like this. Uh, There are certain tools in my garage that my kids are not allowed to use yet. (laughs) Like I have a Sawzall. I'm not going to let my nine-year-old girl go ahead and, you know, hey, have fun, have a blast, I'll be inside. No, that, that would be um, child endangerment, I guess is probably the proper term. Uh, I need to be with her if I'm going to trust her and let her use it. Now, I do want her to learn how to use it, but use it properly, so I'm going to be with her as she uses that. I think what is happening here is Jesus is not, it's not ready for them to operate in this way just yet. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We also need a relationship with Jesus, a cultivating relationship. What do I mean by that? And didn't the disciples have a relationship with Jesus? They, they had been spending a couple of years with him now up to this point. They had a relationship with Jesus, right? Maybe. I'm not sure that they fully had an understanding of Jesus yet. I'm not convinced that they fully understood the agenda of God in and through Jesus yet, and I think actually this is what was inhibiting or prohibiting their impact. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Continue on on in verse 30 to 32. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask what he meant. They didn't get it. More specifically, they didn't get the cross. They didn't get the agenda of what God was doing through Jesus. Which means, I don't think they had that solid of a relationship. I don't think they fully understood what Jesus was up to. They didn't understand the cross. Why does that matter? Because the cross is how God is going to claim victory over evil. That's how the battle's going to be won. That, that, that seems really confusing to us, and if that does seem confusing to us, it was confusing to the disciples as well. So again, no shame. Why is that confusing? Because it's a paradox. How do you conquer anything by dying? How does victory over evil look like going lower? How does it look like love? How does it look like sacrifice? This is the upside-down way of God. This is the paradoxical way of Jesus. Victory looks like going lower, looks like sacrifice, looks like love, and actually, all of that culminates in the cross, and that is actually where the authority comes from. That's confusing. We think in our context, authority is dominating, puffing up, getting bigger. I know it's really hard for me because I'm like a twig, and, and if I turn sideways, you're not gonna see me. But like, that's why I have to do this, right? Like, I have to get bigger so that I can show my status, so that I can show you I'm in charge, I'm bigger, I'm better, I'm more powerful. But that's not the way of the cross. That's not the way of Jesus. That's why it's so confusing to us and certainly confusing to our culture, because it is the opposite way of thinking. And that's where authority comes. That's the kind of authority that overcomes evil. And church, this affects how we pray. It absolutely does. The cross must shape our prayers. We have to go lower in our prayers. We have to have cross-shaped prayers in order to come into unity and alignment with what God wants to do in exercising his authority in the world. Church, we are actually invited into this. Absolutely we are. We are invited to pray cross-shaped prayers, to pray authoritative prayers, to operate in the supernatural now, in 2022. In fact, Jesus said, you will do greater things than these. He is expecting that we engage with the evil in our world. Whoa, that's like That's like super huge. That's big. I don't don't know how I would even begin to do that. What would I even pray? What would I pray about? What would I pray against? What would I pray for? Let me give you a hint. Have you turned the news on in the last 24 hours? War, greed, corruption, racism, violence, sickness, all of these are natural manifestations of supernatural evil. We need prayers against these things. We need authoritative, cross-shaped prayers. We need prayers that say, God, you must stop the war in Ukraine. We need to be able to speak with authority against the injustice in our world. We need authoritative prayers. How are we supposed to do this? How do we begin to do this? I mentioned at the beginning that all of our service... Should be motivated by love. And that love is embodied in the cross. So, this is what it looks like to have cross shaped prayers. Because the cross is our reminder to go lower. Why? So that our prayers aren't motivated by selfish ambition. That's why sometimes authoritative prayers get abused, because it becomes about self and about power, and status, but that's not what the cross is about. It's a reminder to go lower. Cross-shaped prayers are shaped by sacrifice. And the beauty of it, the beauty of it is that when we pray like this, and it's not about us, we actually get help in our prayers from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and shapes us, and it's actually the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, which will remind us of the cross to go lower. And on top of that, even when we engage in that kind of prayer and we just get to this moment of our finite humanity and we're like, I don't even know what to pray anymore. War in Ukraine seems so big. The racism in our country seems so big. How would I even begin to pray like that? Guess what? The Holy Spirit comes alongside us as we hear in Romans 8 and prays when we don't even know what to pray. In groanings that cannot be expressed in words, we get help. To pray. To pray authoritative, cross shaped prayers. We must understand, Life Canton, that the Spirit and the cross is what shapes our service of prayer for one another. Because if we don't, then we will actually do a disservice in the kingdom of God. And our prayers will be for us and for our gain. But see, the kingdom of God is the fullest expression of love, which is defined by the cross. This is how and why the cross equals love. How should we do this? Well, first of all, I want you to pray. Pray. Ask for help. Ask for help to pray like this, to pray like Jesus. Your action step for this week is to go and to pray. Pray for somebody in need. Pray for somebody who has very real spiritual needs. And in some cases, it may be unseen things that are affecting the natural, the supernatural affecting the natural, and vice versa. And you don't have to know everything that's going on. But pray for them. And here's the thing. Evaluate. Do a self-assessment. Do I have an ongoing, cultivating relationship with Jesus that embraces the cross? and do i embrace the presence of the holy spirit that reminds me of the cross and helps me to pray even when i don't know what to pray more specifically i want to point back to those model to that model that jesus did with this boy and with his father i want you to observe as you pray for this person observe what's going on don't be so quick to speak have a conversation Seek understanding. Gain mutual trust and love and respect. And then in so doing, create an environment of vulnerability. Allow them to wrestle with the struggle that it's not just this cut and dried thing, that it's not always black and white, that sometimes there are things that are unseen that we don't understand. It's a bit of a mystery. But have that environment of vulnerability to be able to be honest about that. And then exude the confidence of God the authority that comes from God. And then lastly, be honest about your belief and your unbelief. You have an incredible opportunity and an invitation to pray cross-shaped, authoritative prayers for people in our community and to show that the cross equals love this week. I want to say this too, if you want to learn how to do this, if you want to have this cultivating relationship with Jesus and continue to grow in prayer, actually it's perfect timing because the life journey is starting up next week and Encounter is one of the courses within the life journey that talks all about this kind of prayer and spiritual warfare, some of the supernatural things that I only just barely barely scratched the surface on. So if you're interested in that, you can let us know on your connective.
0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that sermon. Um, Pastor Jared's call to prayer, authoritative prayer this week, I think it's powerful. Um, I think once you guys start practicing that prayer and understanding that prayer, you're going to see God move in some some incredible ways um, through those prayers. So I hope that you begin to practice those this week uh, and that you see God move in some amazing ways. Uh, If you actually need prayer um, or support for something you have going on um, in addition to those authoritative prayers, uh, you can always reach out to us uh, to request specific prayer via the Connect card or just reaching out to someone in our congregation or on staff personally. Um, There's also opportunities for you to get involved in communities uh, that can care for and support you. With via our Semester Life groups, and we're about to start some of those up again in the summer, so reach out. Pastor Al would love to get you connected to those, but yeah, my my hope this week is you just see God's power on display as you pray those prayers of authority. Uh, May your week be blessed, and we will see you again next week. Have a great one. Bye.